there's a natural tendency for things to calcify or harden up. And it's very hard to maintain the same creative spirit in which you started the business. Be creative, keep going, and be open to other suggestions. Hey, welcome to My Company Story. I'm your host, Don Burge. My Company Story is a podcast where I get to interview some of the most interesting business owners and CEOs about the challenges that they've faced and how they've overcome them. Enjoy the show. Hi, I'm here with Jason Morgan. Jason is the founder and CEO of Common Pool. Jason, welcome to My Company Story. Thank you, Don. Nice to be here. So today we're going to talk about uh, uh, with Jason about Common Pool, and the top subtopic would be the power of prizes using incentives to solve problems. And let me just tell the audience a little bit about what that means. When the MacArthur Foundation set out to offer a single $100 million grant to any organization around the world with a bold enough proposal, they called Common Pool to brand, design, develop, and manage that process. And then when NASA wanted to open an open source new particle sensors for their International Space Station, they commissioned Common Pool to launch that competition. And over the past 10 years, Common Pool has built a reputation as the go-to agency for crowdsourcing solutions to big problems. Today, Jason Morgan, the CEO and founder of Common Pool, will describe exactly how his team approaches such a unique business and what challenges they face as they continue to scale over the next 10 years. Jason, welcome to My Company Story again. And with that kind of preamble, why don't you tell us in, our, in your own words then a little about your background and a little bit more about Common Pool. Sure, yeah. Um, I founded Common Pool 10 years ago. Uh, it was March 11th of 2010. Um, but my interest in how we use prizes and how we use reward systems to motivate people goes back much further than that. Um, when I was in grad school, I was really focused more on behavioral sciences and kind of these big questions that have emerged as we've tried to look at both economics and psychology and electoral theory and the blending of those sciences and how we've applied very specific tools to really test what happens when you offer someone a reward to do something. Um, and so Common Pool has really been founded on that premise. Uh, my story is that I was playing around with these more academically um, and then when I left grad school, I went to work for the mayor of Chicago. And when I was working for Mayor Daly, I was actually building programs at the time that did include awards and rewards, uh, but not at the scale that we're doing it now. Um, I had a startup venture, which I was successful with. And then after that, I wanted to get back into public service. And so I went to work for a group called the X Prize Foundation. And there we were offering these big $10 million bounties for people that would do things like privately financed, putting a rocket into outer space. And when we offered $10 million, we would see something like two, three, four times that being spent. Uh, and really, we were only paying the winners. So we were creating a lot of leverage. We were creating a lot of media and attention. And we were trying to kind of reinvent how philanthropy works, right? Um, and so from there, I learned quite a bit. When I left the XPRIZE Foundation, I started to realize that the future of this business was not so much in these big mediagenic um, telegenic competitions. It was really in the science of assessment. And so Common Pool has been a, an assessment business that does prizes, challenge competitions, fellowships, and grant making programs for public and private partners. That's great, Jason. So, I, and how long ago? I remember when X Prize came about. Was that about 10 years ago? When was that 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 happened? 
it's hard to believe it's a lot more longer ago than that. It was in the mid nineties when they first had their real successes. But you know, it, when I, we set up a lab at MIT in 2007, um, me and a woman named Dr. Erica Wagner, and we are studying kind of the history of how prizes have evolved. And the first ones we found are really over 400, 500 years ago. Uh, before we had kind of free market exchange and capitalism, a lot of times uh, the, the, the process of invention was ruled by trade guilds and labor unions, and those were very limited in what they could do. So if there was a big problem like a war or a famine or pestilence, leaders would come forward and they would say, oh my gosh, we're not going to solve this fast enough. Let's put up a prize. No kidding. So they they did offer- that 500 years ago, they did that back in, back in those ages when they, uh, the tradesmen would come up with, let's put up a prize for this. That, it goes back that far. It goes back much further than that. And if you think about it, really, they were bumping up against the limits of what the talent could produce. So they would just open source that process. And a result, as a result, we have some amazing inventions that came out of that period like how to determine longitude on the high seas, the invention of margarine as a suitable replacement for butter. There's all kinds of really great stories about early on when we would open up the process of developing technology and the many, many different characters that would show up and solve these problems. Wow, that's great, Jason. Here I thought your company was brand new and cutting edge, but you're just a really old time, old line, online company out there. Wow. Well, like, like most effective things, right? I mean, yeah. the, the, there's a theory that there is no invention. We're always reinventing. We, we are. Well, that's fantastic. So tell us today, though. I mean, you're not working for the, uh, for the, the, guild, uh, the guilds of, of your and, and all those types of things in the past. Who are your uh, ideal clients and what is a typical customer profile for you guys today? And how has that morphed into where you are today? You know, it's really a tale of two stories. And so I think it offers an interesting contrast in what we're doing a lot of times we'll have clients come to us with a deeply scientific and technological problem. And they want us to build what is effectively a scientific trial whereby people can come forward, they can propose solutions, and we can very specifically compare those solutions, sometimes on an objective basis, but sometimes more subjectively. And through this very deep science assessment, we can produce what we can say is the best approach. An example of that would be uh, the Mars landing mission at NASA came to us. This is really cool. And they said, we want to be able to sustain life on the surface of Mars, but we can only use the resources that we're going to bring. So we want a technology that can turn astronaut breath into glucose. And so we were able to facilitate a competition with, that would show the different ways to do that. And the winning one would be deployed on the Mars landing mission. So that's kind of an example of deep science stuff that we do. That's fascinating. You're, hand, you're, you're in the middle of all these things that are just fascinating, cutting edge news stories. Well, tell us about that one. Did someone discover a way to do that from, your, uh, from this contest? And is that happening right now? Well, not only did they discover it, but what we discovered was the range of ways in which that can happen. I mean, this happens in the natural environment with microbes and enzymes, but to synthetically do that is a really interesting scientific question. What we learned is the many different orthogonal approaches, the different ways that you can solve a problem like that, and from people sometimes who are the least likely characters that you think you would find. That's fascinating. So tell us a little bit, I mean, are all of your clients like NASA and the uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the U.S. government, I mean, are those your typical clients or are you working with smaller organizations or medium-sized? Where does it range? Yeah, I mean, you brought up the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Um, We just launched a competition a week ago, a $30 dollar prize on how to focus on increasing gender equity in the United States. That's a great example because 
those are our clients, just as NASA is our clients, but sometimes they come to us with very deep scientific problems, and sometimes it's go very broad and wide. You can't measure gender equity or a proposal for that in the same way you can measure a piece of technology. So we're pulled into a lot of different situations, and sometimes it's not with these really big clients, like the $100 million prize we did for MacArthur. Sometimes it's solving a very narrow problem like water scarcity in Phoenix, Arizona. Wow, that's fascinating. So let me ask you this. Uh, at the end of the day, Common Pool is a service business, correct? That's and correct. Uh, uh, we can see that a wide range of clients that you serve, some biggest names of philanthropy and government, uh, but each of these case studies is different. Can you walk us through a typical client engagement and explain the differences between them? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, for, for us, um, the, the clients that come to us want to solve a problem, right? And so they have decided that rather than going out and hiring one firm to propose a solution, they're going to offer a reward, which is commensurate with the level of effort to solve that problem. And they're going to invite all of these atypical uh, solutions to be assessed using our technologies, right? And so it takes a certain mindset to be open to crowdsourcing or to be open to open innovation. So a lot of times the people that are coming to us represent someone who's either exhausted trying to find that solution and they're kind of in this last ditch effort trying to find out who else is out there or they've come to us and they've said, we have a strong suspicion that the usual suspects are just not yet capable. And so we wanna find folks that are maybe studying in different disciplines and they're gonna apply those new tools to solving this existing problem. And we've found a lot of evidence that shows to solve these big problems, a lot of times it's about that new talent. Um, there's been papers written about this at the Harvard Business School. Uh, there's a lot of people who've gone on to win their own prizes studying asymmetric problem solving. And so, you know, a typical client engagement is they come to us with an issue. Uh, we help them build the framework around which that problem will be solved. And then we manage all of that data that comes into us. And but what's cool, Don, is that I'm kind of like the, my job is so great because I'm like the guy that writes the rules of the NBA and then gets to stand on the sidelines and watch the, the teams play. I don't have to be a basketball player myself, but I get to watch the game. But Jason, to, I, that's a fantastic spot to be in. But to your analogy with the NBA, aren't you also, uh, who is in charge of going out and recruiting those uh, players and getting the best players to play on the field? I mean, you have to find that scientist that's sitting in, in uh, you know, down in uh, South Africa somewhere studying rocks to, to say, hey, maybe you could apply to this grant over here we're doing on the moon rover. And he wouldn't even know about it. How do you connect those dots? That's a great, that's a great question. That's actually at the core of our business model. So there's a few things we know about problem solving is that too often when we try and solve a problem, it's kind of an inside baseball game, right? So there is a lot of opacity or there's a lot, there's lack of transparency often when we're trying to solve these problems. And when you're running a competition, you have to be completely accountable for the rules and the requirements. So one of our key strategies is saying, hey, here's the problem that we want to solve. Here are the specific conditions under which we will accept the solution. And here's what you're going to get if you solve it. Now, when we take a more open, transparent, and fair approach to problem solving, that scientist that you mentioned in South Africa, maybe she has her own set of tools. And now she's pointing those tools to a chemistry problem. So when she goes to that website to say, oh, I want to play in this competition, the first question she's going to ask is, well, is the game rigged? Do they really want an outsider? Do they really want me to come in here and play in their sandbox? 
So if we can be completely open and transparent and fair, we get more of those outsiders that come to that site and say, wow, for the first time, I'm on a level playing field and I can apply my own tools. The other trick, Don, is really more about search engine optimization and the fact that today from your phone, you can access a global community very quickly. So we're using a lot of those advanced tools around search engine optimization and social marketing. So Jason, do you use that uh, SEO in order to find that girl down in South Africa who's a, who's a geologist down there who has no clue what you're doing? Do you use uh, uh, SEO search to, for her to find your website then? Is that what, how, that, how that connection's made? Absolutely. And because one of the ways that we're able to cut through a lot of the noise is that when you're offering a substantial reward to solve a problem, you, know, you have a backstop, which is the URL or the website to go to. Once people go to that website, they log in, they register, they populate a profile. And the way that we're able to keep them into the site is by allowing them to access other registrants, other people that are trying to solve the same problem. Now, Don, one of the huge discoveries that we've made is the degree to which people are willing to share. So while we look like a competition, which is actually all about a, a company, which is all about competition, we actually have invested a lot of our own resources in tools that facilitate collaboration and exchange. And so she might come in, populate her profile, start learning more, maybe join a team. There's all kinds of different tools that people can use to ramp up and to try and solve these problems. That's fantastic, Jay. That's very, very fascinating. Let's shift a little bit now on the podcast because in every, every episode, if you've listened to them, I always ask the guests what the challenges that they faced and how they've overcome those business challenges. And I'd like to ask you, especially in these complicated times, every CEO has been facing unique challenges. How has the global crisis that we're in now, this pandemic, affected your business? And what steps have you taken to mitigate your risk? Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, I run a, I, I run a company. And so when this first happened, um, I recognized we had a certain strategic advantage. For the past eight and a half years, we've been a fully distributed business. We have over 35 FTEs and employees in four different regions around the world. So we became a distributed company a long time ago, which means everyone works from home and we have the infrastructure and the tools already in place to help support that kind of business model. So we use a lot of tools like Slack and Jira and texting and, and Zoom. We've already been very indoctrinated into that. One of the things that we did is we first started looking at cash flow. And when this hit, a lot of business owners were looking at really accounts receivables, uh, contract pipeline, and what would sustain the business over potentially a quarter or half a year. So like a lot of them, we took out a PPP loan. Uh, forgivable loan. And we're lucky to have secured that during that time when we really weren't sure about the future. But what's happened, Don, is really fascinating because we run these competitions online. A lot of people are at home and they're on the internet. And those are the same people that are logging in to play in our competition. So we've been massively oversubscribed mm. in our registrants and our application user base. Fascinating. So, so, so really this, this whole crisis that, that quote unquote crisis, this pandemic that we've been under because people have been at home working, you've actually seen an increase in your visibility and in your, your reach then. Is that correct? Because of that? Let me, let me put a finer point to it, Don. We have a contract with the European commission that also involves 20 other countries. So we're about a base of about 45 different countries competing in a clean tech competition. Those countries include China, uh, Italy, Portugal, Spain, these are countries that have been hit very hard by COVID. In those instances, we were oversubscribed in our registration and application goals by 300, 500%. So what we know is that people are still itching for some place to channel that energy. If you can offer those opportunities online, people will tap into them. 
That's fantastic. So let's tell us, that's an opportunity that you saw in there, but what about the challenges, Jason? I mean, what, and, and you guys, you said you were set up ahead of time. So when this work at home came, there was no big deal. You rolled right into that. But what were the challenges or what, what, what obstacle did you find either in this COVID-19 experience or be, before that, that you've had to overcome in your business and your unique business? Yeah. And I, I don't want to sound like a perpetual optimist, but let, let, let me give you a sense of, of kind of the sectors in which we work. I would say over half of our business is in philanthropy. And philanthropy can be divided into those more institutional grant makers where they're spending 5% of an endowment every year. That has been a large part of our business. Some of them are more operational foundations where they're raising money and they're using us as a service provider. You know, when you look at those larger scale foundations, a lot of them are moving more and more towards this open competition model. But we've had to bring along a lot of the smaller foundations to understand this and the value around that. Our next segment is really government. And in January of 2011, a new act was passed, which allowed the federal government to utilize prizes and challenge competitions. And we've seen a very slow build towards that with more and more agencies adopting it. When the current environment, a lot of those are in defense and NASA and other areas, programs that are being funded under this administration. But this is a very bipartisan effort. So that climb, that slow gradual increase and the adoption of the model has been happening, not only in the US, but around the world. It's been slower than we like, but it's been consistent. And then in the third segment, which is really private industry and commercialization, we found much more resistance, Don. And the reason is, if you've invested in a internal R&D team, and all of a sudden I'm going to Procter & Gamble or Johnson & Johnson, I'm saying, now we're gonna open source research and development. A lot of that investment is resistant to that change. But our theory is that also will change over time. And as open sourcing becomes more adapted and you have dominant design around the tools to do that, we're going to see more private industry investing in open sourcing. Interesting. So it's safe to say then that, Jason, that your firm then is really the outsourced R&D department for anybody in private industry who needs to do R&D, go to you guys to do that, to get that R&D done, so to speak. That's true, except one minor footnote there, and that's that we remain a social enterprise. Um, all the work that we do is focused on doing good world. So we've had opportunities presented to us before where you know, it was about open sourcing uh, the discovery of oil in the Arctic. We, 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 we forewent that opportunity because we want to maintain our social enterprise um, purpose. So is that, a, is that a decision that you alone make or you make with your executive team? Or when someone comes to you and says, hey, we want to explore oil in the Arctic Circle, who makes that call and says, mm, I think we're going to pass? At the end of the day, I make that decision. But we have been a social enterprise from the start. So for over 10 years, we've really built this into our DNA. Like if you look at our track record, you look at our client base, you look at people who repeatedly come back to us, they know this about us. And if you look at the, the whole ethos of kind of how we design these programs, and what we've been able to accomplish with it, it's really an interesting measure of success because we're not just looking at bottom line profitability. And so it's been, it's been carefully executed strategy and it's worked very well for us, both in terms of our commercialization and in terms of our mission. That's fantastic, Jason. Jason, let's wrap this up a little bit now. And I'd like to ask, the, uh, ask you to tell our audience, if anyone wanted to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do that? Uh, you can email me at jmorgan at commonpool.org. Uh, or you can dial 310-266-6226. Great. Thank and you very so, much. And well, and Jason, we have a, another minute here. Just really quickly, if you had to pass along one piece of advice to the business owners that are listening, the other CEOs that are out there listening, what would that piece of advice be? From you? 
you know, I would say as, as your business gets more and more mature, there's a natural tendency for things to calcify or harden up. And it's very hard to maintain the same creative spirit in which you started the business. And we're lucky in that we're a service company. So we're always reinventing what we do and how we do it. But even with that, we found calcification. And so it's this exercise in trying to maintain creative energy while also instantiating tools and building out an infrastructure that's stable and durable. So be creative, keep going, and be open to other suggestions. That's great advice, Jason, and we'll end it there. Thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Thank you so much, John. Have a great day. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to My Company Story. We have new episodes coming out every week, so please subscribe if you like this. And if you'd like to hear previous episodes, you can go to mycompanystory.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, if you or someone you know would be interested in coming on the show, please email me at don at Thanks for listening.